Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey and Darren Peter. folks welcome to profiles and eccentricity we are a show about weirdos i am joined by the cutest boy under the sun my co-host mr aaron Peta. that's me hi there aaron <laughs> oh, hi. equally handsome unbelievably hey. gorgeous <laughs> mr matt Brousseau. how you doing matt i'm doing great john thanks uh this is now our 16th episode that's insane it's fucking crazy wow We've been talking about a lot of fucking weirdos and <laughs> Dude, shit. A lot. It's been wild. John, how are you? I'm great. Uh, my buddy Nevin called me today, and he fucking lit me up with this shit. He was like, oh, yeah, did I tell you about this? And uh, I was like, no, I got to find out about that. Can you hit it? Here we go. I This is all. This is new to me. I don't know what this shit is. Yep. Neither does Matt. Ready? Yep. Go on a journey, the audience, with me. You better tell me hoopstick is this. I want to know hoopstick is this. You better tell me hoopstick is this. I want to know hoopstick is this. You better tell me hoopstick is this. I want to know hoopstick is this. You better tell me hoopstick is this. I want to know hoopstick is this. You better tell me hoopstick is this. Yeah. Hell yeah. No, I really so they got like the classic girl that sings the hook that's nothing dirty, but this girl that raps that does all the technotronic type shit. Yeah. All she's talking about is cock and fucking and shit. Yeah, Nevin does me. He's like, look up. He's like, how do you not? The only way you could not know is if it's like Jenny J and the glory hole being like, I know this dick. Turn around. Whose dick is this? Can you play the second one for me? Sure. This is Princess Di. She named herself Princess Di in 94. Princess Di is alive Still, and well. She calls herself Princess Di. This is the next one. Right. Mm, yeah. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Hey, you got to hold on. You got to wait to get to two, yeah. the two mark for me. People break dancing their balls off oh, to this. Tripping their balls off in like the New York club scene. Yeah. Nineteen ninety four, dude. That real ecstasy shit. Is that the Mario coin noise? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're grabbing them points, dude. Ooh. There she is. <laughs> they only have five songs. Two two of them are clean. See if I can do a mashup here. Ready? Hold on, hold on. Oh, there's more. No, no, no. You gotta, you gotta wait. To two minutes. To two. Cool. <laughs> it's infectious. It's a, it's. Uh, uh, uh. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to get to that guy. Shh. Everybody, fuck somebody. Like, fucking sheer hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, they all go together. All right, play the last one. All right, all right. You ready? <laughs> Five songs total, bro. 
These are the three unclean ones. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is that's on their discography. Well, the A-side the A side of whose dick is this is what's my name. So it's like, do you have any idea what's going on? They're not all just... Raise your leg up. <laughs> Turn around. Raise your leg up, big dick motherfuckers. And uh, one of the clean ones is a cover. Say, of- I just wanted to share. I, would, I wanted to share Princess Die with you guys. One of the clean ones is a cover of Sunshine Lollipops. Right? <laughs> like, like, what the fuck is going on? Did they ever find out whose dick that was? I don't know. I can't. I Some could, big dick motherfucker. Yeah, apparently. I really couldn't find out uh, much more about Princess Die. But on Discogs, it was it was seriously like disappearance, disappearance, disappearance. Five songs total. Two of them about dicks and fucking. <laughs> Or, uh, three. Yeah. About the fucking. Very, very funny. Very stupid. Very but dumb. Who, whose dick is this? I will now have these songs. It's so great. It is great. God, it's good stuff. I'm playing that at the next party. Aaron, you are launching your second profile <sighs> ever, which ties into your previous episode, the very, very well received Jack Parsons Ooh. episode. Yes, that is correct. If you remember, my last profile was of the. Uh, mystic rocket scientist sex magician from Pasadena mm-hmm. uh, who had a uh, cameo-laden life. Characters like your uh, Ray Bradbury, mm-hmm. your L. Ron Hubbards, uh, your Werner Von Braun's, mm. right? And um, today's profile, Alistair Crowley. There's some debate as to whether it's Alistair Crowley or Crowley, but apparently it's Crowley as an unholy Master ah, Crowley. Wow. Right. And um, just to preface again, uh, I said this during the Parsons episode, but this is a character that I haven't ever delved into further. And I have a pretty, you know, high appetite for uh, uh, the scummy, weird stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, I like I like weird shit. But this is a guy that really freaked me out. Same here. Yeah. He's always had this kind of weird um, shadow that he casts. Yeah. And it's just kind of, you know, we don't, you don't want to look too deep into it because it is just so nefarious. I mean, the guy right. called himself the Beast 666. Yeah. Um, yeah like, know. I mean, with with a guy like uh, LeVay. Yeah. Anton LeVay. Yeah. I used to get them mixed up as a kid. Yes. You yes. Know, LeVay but, was way more, I mean, looked way more the part. He looked Satan. He did. Well, he played, he played Satan in uh, Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And he, uh, Anton LaVey is the founder of the modern-day Church of Satan. Church of Church Satan. Satan. Yeah. But the Church of Satan is really basically just parodying right. Christianity, and it's saying, like, you know, it's like, let's be more real about this. Like, if somebody fucks you over, try to fuck them over back, and, like, it's, like, more humanist kind of thing. But it's basically just a parody of religion, whereas Crowley was like, oh, no, I'm actually really into getting kind of sort of demonic, it seems like, to me. Right, As, as right. far as the... I have... Such a periphery knowledge of this, so I can't wait to find out. Yeah, so uh, after looking into it, he's no longer like the scary figure. Really? To me, I mean, you know, anytime you illuminate something and it, it's no longer as as creepy as it, as it is in your head, right? Right. The scariest parts of Jaws are when they don't show the shark, and then mm-hmm. they show the shark, and you're like, oh, it looks fake. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I would say Crowley is very shark right. and Jaws-like, but still fucking weird, dude. Yeah. Um, so a quick little disclaimer on this. This is another nasty fucking episode. It's heavy. There's a lot of there's a lot of shit. And there's uh, no animal stuff. No animal stuff. No kid stuff. Right. Just grow. Just all sorts of nasty shit. And uh, piss. Piss. I mean, let, the best way that I can give you a an idea of what's to come is from uh, it's from a show. 
called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Massive fan. Oh, God, thank you for introducing me to it. And the beginning of every one of these episodes, the character Garth Marenghi, would, he's a, he would read an excerpt from one of his fake shitty novels. Mm-hmm. And after doing my research into Aleister Crowley, this is all I could think of. <laughs> and maybe this will give you an idea of what's to come. Nina's eyes popped out of what was left of her back. Why, oh why, had she opened that tomb? The sand turned red. This was because she was bleeding on it. Blood. (laughs) Ruby red blood. Her blood. Blood. And piss and shit. (laughs) This was the worst day of her life. It's so stupid and... (sighs) It's so great. But I love it. All right, so let's get to it, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Edward Alexander Crowley was born in 1875 in England to a wealthy Plymouth Brethren family. So they were this like fundamentalist evangelical Christian family in uh, Warwickshire, England. And his father was basically retired because he owned a lucrative brewing business, some mm. high-gravity lager type right, of stuff. Right, absolutely. Yeah, the steel reserve of the time. <laughs> and um, uh, he had a weird relationship with his mother. Uh, as a lot of these fucking weirdos do. Yeah. His mom was like really strict and kind of like just was mean to him. She actually gave, was the first person to give him the nickname The Beast. Really? As in the Beast of Revelations, you know. Uh, and he loved it. He was all about it. He was a little cunt wow. ever since he was a kid. Uh, so they were fundamentalist evangelicals. And his father, now that he retired from this this lucrative business, was basically a preacher. And he would um, read the family a chapter of the Bible every morning. Oh, that'll fuck you up. Yeah. You're reading that weird, dark stuff. And so he was a little bit of a shit and was uh, sent off to boarding school when he was five and he was a sickly little kid. He got like like asthma and all this type of shit. A lot of these characters are kind of sickly kids too. Anyway, so he sent to boarding school, and then um, when he's eleven, his father dies of tongue cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the word of God is a known carcinogen, <laughs> right? But he really loved his father. He was he really admired his father, and um, yeah. he was like he called him like his best friend and hero. Mm-hmm. And his father's death was like a, a turning point in his life for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being he inter- inherited a third of his wealth, but he didn't get that until a little bit later. But it did fuck with him. So he got a third of his uh, father's wealth, and he started acting out and being a real fucker. When he was fourteen, he lost his virginity to the maid on his mother's bed. Wow! F- upon finding, I think. He probably did it to spite his mom. It seems like sure. It. Yeah, hey, mama, fuck the maid right on your bed. Didn't hey, you, I? Like, you little beast. <laughs> hey, you know me. Come here, Gretchen. You know what's good for you. <laughs> now get on mom's bed. Make it. <laughs> she was fired. Of course. Became ba- homeless, alcoholic, prostitute. The l- maid. Yes. Oh God. Later. Theorized to be one of Jack the Ripper's victims. No! Oh, God. Uh, so he starts, he continues his acting out in uh, in school, like misbehaving, pointing out inconsistencies in the Bible because, like, he, you know, he knows it back and forth. Knows, exactly. Smoking, drinking, jerking off, and catching gonorrhea from prostitutes. 
Young, young man. So he sent away to various boarding schools that he hated with like some kind of disciplinarian deans and stuff that maybe he experienced some various forms of abuse in, most likely. Then he ended up at Eastbourne College where he took chemistry classes and got into chess, actually became really good at chess, mm-hmm. poetry, and mountain climbing. And this mm. is something you see later in life. He's an, actually an accomplished mountain climber. Mm. He climbed a bunch of mountains in the Alps, uh, and then he changed his name to Alistair. I think he had something that he didn't feel like he was worthy of his father's name, which is another thing with Parsons. His mom changed his name from John right. to Jack. They called him Jack. Yeah. His name was Marvel, like his father. Yes. But his mother started calling him Jack. Interesting. Um, so Alistair, now Alistair, uh, enrolls in Trinity College at Cambridge, very prestigious school, studied philosophy, became president of the chess club, hmm. uh, and continued his mountaineering. And eventually he made the first ascent of the monk without a guide, which is some mountain in the Alps. And he was the first person to do it without a guide. Wow. And and he's in his 20s at this point. Was there any significance to Alistair? Not that I could find. It's weird. It's a very British name. And I'm sorry to to dial back again, but was was he ever remotely a suspect as the Jack the Ripper thing? I was thinking about it, but he was too young at that point, I think. Right. I mean, he's going to prostitutes. Yeah. And And he knows one. And he's a fucker. And he's a fucker. Um, but he didn't seem, I think he didn't get into his more sadist tendencies until later in life. Right. But I don't know when she was murdered either. So sure. it'd be... Right. Maybe there's he, some overlap there. I think otherwise people would have glommed yeah. onto it and been like... Yeah. And he also was a, a traveler. So like he yeah. really was, you know, uh, around a, the world right. at, at, during a lot of the time. In addition to the mountain climbing, it was a lot of the whoring around. He got syphilis uh, and stuff like that. So he's already got gonorrhea and syphilis. And this is before antibiotics, guys. Right. Oof. He had to tough it out. Yeah, you got to tough it out. So yeah. you, you can get through gonorrhea, but you do get damaged, but it, your body does get rid of it. You now. get that Rice Krispie dick. <laughs> Snap, crackle, pop, baby. <laughs> That's what they say. I oh. mean, not that they say. It looks like you have Rice Krispies all over your dick. Huh. Yeah. I'm not a cereal guy. <laughs> And then he got syphilis, and that can also, like, you can you can go mad from that stuff. Right. Um, so in 1896, he fucks a dude for the first time. Huh. Yeah. That's... And uh, this this also coincided with his first mystical experience. And, mm. and so I think those those two were kind of hand in hand or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Some joke you didn't have time yeah. to come up with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh... <laughs> um, <laughs> In 1897, he enters a relationship with Herbert Charles Pullet. Guess where they met? Drama Club. Oh. Um, and then they, <laughs> but they were like really tight and they had like, it was a real relationship and all that, right? Yeah. And so he started embracing his bisexuality. Uh, then they broke up because of Crowley's interest in Western era esotericism. So his weird, creepy occult proclivities were kind of what split them two up. Um, then he gets sick and depressed after this and really dives deep into the occult. Another thing that he had in common with Parsons is that Parsons, anytime he would break up or have these relationship issues, he'd get depressed, get in the drugs, and go deeper into the magic stuff. Right. That's, that's what Alistair did here. He got more into his, the occult stuff and his poetry. Um, he publishes a collection of his erotic poetry called White Stains. Jesus. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll read some of those later, but... This is from my collection, White Stain. Yes. Yes. And I think it was 15 at the time. I'm talking about not, of course. <laughs> it was... <laughs> uh, it was only... I was trying to be coy by saying White Stains, but I'm talking about not. Do you, do you see the reference? <laughs> to understand. You can't really print a lot of books with just cum stains on the title. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, there was no title on the book. It was just the stain. <laughs> it was like the White Album. Yeah. <laughs> every, every printing is different. You get it. <laughs> Signed by the author. Yeah. <laughs> Special edition. Ooh. So he drops out of Cambridge. And then he goes to Switzerland, he meets a chemist, and they bond over their interest in alchemy. Mm. And um, through this guy's brother, he is introduced to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is this old school Western esoteric order. It's it's like Freemasonry, but just a little more woo-woo, right? It's very into that, like, alchemy kind of magic yeah, shit. Okay. Yeah, so this is where he gets introduced to, like, ritual magic and um, the occult, right? Um, and so this is where there's an author, I think his name is Spence, who is a biographer of Crowley, who theorized and has some really good evidence to, to back this up, is that he? this may be when he started to be an agent for British intelligence. Mm-hmm. He may have been a spy. So they think that his dropping out of Cambridge... And getting into the Order of the Golden Dawn was an operation to spy on them. Hmm. So he's initiated into the Order, and um, he moves into his own luxury apartment. Spy on them for who again? MI6. Okay. Yeah. Wow. British uh, intelligence. Yeah. MI5 or MI6. Right. And uh, it, what was the ritual like? Is there any... They do a lot of chanting and robes and shit like that. Ooh. Hell yeah. Um, and I think there's also where he gets introduced to some of the sex magic stuff, but that's not until later that he gets really, really into it. Um, So he's initiated into this order, um, and mind you, he's rich now. Like, really rich. He's like the ultimate trust fund kid, but with all these weird interests. So he's not satisfied with how fast he's progressing, so he bypasses the rules of the order by inviting one of the senior members to live with him in his dope-ass place. Like, hey, man, I, I got this place all by myself. Maybe if you want to live here... You can teach me some of the ways. And so this guy is his personal magic tutor. And the guy is Bennett. And Bennett taught him more about ceremonial magic and using drugs. And so this is where he gets into using drugs like heavy, heavy, which will be a constant in the rest of his life. What kind of drugs are we talking here? Cocaine. Chopping it up. Chopping it up. up. Some of the beginnings of that. Um, I'm sure he dabbles some some opium and stuff like that here. Some methies. Mm -hmm. Bennies, zippy uppers, down, Mm -hmm. sideways, all that shit. Quailus. Some fucking loots. (laughs) So then he buys uh, this property up by Loch Ness. Uh oh. Yeah, called the Bolskin House, which later gets bought. Way down the road by Jimmy Page. Hmm. Led Zeppelin. No shit. For that reason. Really? Because Crowley owned it. Interesting. Yeah, Crowley was also on the cover of the fucking Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band album. He's yeah. one of the faces in it. Wow, really? Yeah. Damn. So this house is pretty crazy, too, because later on, it's it's like the Overlook Hotel. Housekeeper's kids died. A drunken employee who hadn't drinking in 20 years got drunk and tried to kill his family. An army major who lived there, like, tried to actually did kill himself. So there's some, like, crazy happenings. Um, And then there's more later on, which we'll talk about. So anyways, it's on the shores of Loch Ness. And he wanted to, like, do this intense six-month ritual to um, summon the 12 kings of hell. And um, it, it was just, like, really, really intense, like eating only bread and drinking only water for six months, waking up at three in the morning to do incantations. and Jesus then, Yeah, Christ. just like really heavy-duty shit. And then, like, you know, five months in, he finds out that it was mistranslated and it's an 18-month ritual, and he's like, oh, oh dude, fuck, fuck this. Yeah. yeah. 
12 kings of hell, huh? Yeah. I didn't know about that. Dude, neither did I. Yeah. But, I mean, there's all sorts These of These guys, things. they want to get involved with hell so bad. Him and Parsons and all this stuff. And I always wonder, like, what? Yeah, but like, like... What do you think is coming of that? Yeah, I, I don't know. But a lot of it comes from, like, some more Eastern stuff. So it's not like the Christian hell. And it's sure. not necessarily Satan. Sure. As it is so much, like, entities or... Yeah. Um, you know, ideas like yeah, like manifested into like form, right? So they're yeah. also you know they're also rich kids, yeah. You know, so so mm. hell is just like it's not hell, cool. yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like yeah. a hip thing to get into. It yeah. seems like right. Hail Satan! <laughs> yeah, like quotes around it. So he advances through the ranks, but he causes tension on account of all of his drug use and bisexuality mm-hmm. doesn't fly over very well with some of the more prim and proper even even in these esoteric orders sure they're still you know of their time yeah I'm a satanist I'm not a homosexual <laughs> <laughs> nothing all fucked up like that you know you'll go to hell <laughs> um, so it causes tension including uh, with famed poet W.B. Yeats no shit who is a member of the hermetic order of the no world. shit yep. wow so what a they, fucking weirdo. Yeah, well, a lot of these dudes were in that stuff, just like Freemasonry, right? Yeah, like a lot yeah. of who's who type of stuff are in these. Well, there's no internet or nothing. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. Join the Hermetic Order. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that is the internet of the day. Yeah, you're yeah, like, well, you, well, you, you go me... down into the basement and see some BME Pain Olympics <laughs> well, shit. Well, I mean, but honestly, if you read all the fucking books, too, you're like, what else you got? Mm-hmm. Give me something Oh, new. he's nutty? <laughs> <laughs> that type of stuff. I go to this, oh, there's homosexuals and all types of shit. <laughs> you wouldn't there. believe it. Um, <laughs> so they wouldn't initiate him to the next level. So he goes to Paris, and he has the chapter's leader personally initiate him. This guy, uh, Mathers, right? And so, like, because they, they had this thing. I don't know what it was, but they had, like, a, a connection. And so he goes to Paris, and Mathers is like, fuck that. I'll, yeah, I don't care what you, yeah, I'll initiate you. I'll move you up to the next level. And this creates a schism uh, between the members and Mathers, too. In fact, Mathers then orders Crowley to basically stage a um, a takeover of a place called the Vault of the Adepts, which was one of the temples in London for the order. Yeah. And it's unsuccessful, and like a, they sue them, and the court rules in the lodge members' favor because their name's basically on the lease. And that leaves Crowley, uh, Crowley and Mathers isolated. And this also like gives further credence to the idea that this was a black op to undermine the power of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Huh. Because he gets in there, and he basically chops the beast's head off. Right. And they're left leaderless with just, you know, the building. Right. It's weird. So, like, this is... This is why they think that he was in there to, like, you know, sow the seeds of dissent. Yeah. And they never really fully recovered after that. Interesting. Because Mathers was a uh, a Carlist. During this time in Spain, there were, like, different factions, like, with the monarchy and, gosh, I forget the name of the family, but they wanted, like, to include another lineage into the royal family in Spain at this point. Yeah. And um, Charles was, uh, when they say Carlist, it's Carlos. Mm-hmm. And so he was a Carlist, and I think the, the British monarchy didn't want that lineage to get in there, and that's why they um, wanted to subvert Mathers. Okay. Okay, so in, Me- uh, in 1900, he moves to Mexico. So at this point, he's only 25. Okay. Uh, moves to Mexico, uh, goes to Mexico City, and takes a local woman as a mistress, as you do. Sure. Um, and right he st- out. right out starts practicing John D's Enochian magic. So John D is another guy who's worthy of a profile. He's like proto, proto, proto. These guys back like almost Renaissance times, almost yeah. like a uh, Rasputin type of figure, mm. mathematician, conjurer, astrologer to the royalty, alchemist, 
pervert, etc. Right. And um, he had this whole series of rituals called Enochian magic where he had an, its own language for like Enoch from the Bible and angels and all this right. shit, right? Yeah. So he starts doing these rituals uh, and then he gets initiated into Freemasonry in Mexico. And then he also wrote a few plays yeah, and published more fucking poems. Mm -hmm. I don't know the names of the ones he published in 1900, but they were not as catchy as White Stains. (laughs) Right, yeah. In Mexico, he climbed three of the biggest mountains there and had to abandon one because it was actually a volcano and started erupting (laughs) while he was on it. Um, And the theory is that he was down there looking for oil prospects for MI6. Like surveying oil territory in Mexico for the British Empire. Yeah, Mexico seems like an interesting place just to go immediately from, yeah, from England. Yeah, exactly. It's not a, it's not your first go about. I mean, he mm. went to we went to the Swiss Alps, but then to Mexico of all places is yeah. very interesting, and there's a lot of oil there. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a weird one. See, he left Mexico and he goes to San Francisco. And then from San Francisco, he takes a ship to Hawaii where he had an affair with a married woman uh, and wrote poems for her. <laughs> and <laughs> published in a collection called Alice, an Adultery. <laughs> wow. He, he's, he loves the fucking poetry shit. Yeah. After a few steps, uh, after a few stops uh, in Japan and Hong Kong, Crowley goes to Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka. And he met with Alan Bennett, oh, Alan, who was the second Westerner to become a Buddhist monk. So this guy's like a really famous white dude who is a straight-up Buddhist monk in this time in the 1900s. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, he toured India and dove into Raja Yoga, so he becomes a yogi, more trust fund shit. And then he claims to have reached various stages of like samadhi and enlightenment stuff through, through the yoga. Uh, guess what else he did? Wrote some more fucking poems. Okay, yeah. Hell like, yeah. Yeah. The Sword of Song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that actually sounds familiar. A Song of Swords is a Game of Thrones novel. Oh, it's really? A Song of Swords, but his book of stupid poems is called The Sword of Song. It's a Storm of Swords is the oh, Game of Thrones Oh, that's right, right. But but the, the Sword of Song it sounds familiar. Honestly, it was probably an allusion to his dick. <laughs> right, right, right. White stains, sort of. Yeah, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all about my hog. Yeah, listen to it sing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for writing these stupid poems, the universe punished him by giving him malaria. <laughs> and uh, he moved to Calcutta and Rangoon to recuperate. I don't know, the air or whatever. Did, did he believe that? No, I just added okay. that. Okay. Calcutta? Yeah. Well, India is part of the British Empire at this point. Huh. All right, so it goes to okay. Calcutta. And in 1902, some of his mountaineering pals join him. This guy called um, Guillermond and Eckstein and then Crowley, they attempt to summit K2, which is fucking the second highest mountain in the world. Yeah. Which had never been climbed, period, at that point. Right. So they get pretty far up. Crowley gets the flu, malaria, and snow blindness on the way up. Jesus Christ in heaven. They got to 20,000 feet before turning back, which was still pretty fucking impressive. And whenever he got these things, did he ever think there was a higher power doing it? Or <laughs> I don't know. I think. You, I mean, also being a sickly kid, though, you're yeah, like, you're yeah. like, well, what, what else is new? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, when you, you know? look at pictures of him, like I'll, I'll, I'll put up some pictures of him from the, his K two expedition. He looks like shit. I think about that a lot, though. <laughs> I with, can't believe with... he made it twenty thousand feet. He looks like a waif. But you know what I mean. Like people that are sick a lot as kids. Uh, I always think about that. I, I wonder. That perspective thing of like, do you just have a higher threshold for pain? Mm. If you grow up with it, yeah, maybe. Are you really just kind of like, yeah, I know, I get sick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
Duh, I'm sick. He's sick. <laughs> Fucking sick. Hey, you're into Satan, huh? I'm sick and sick, dude. I'm incest. <laughs> Um, so then he moves to Paris, starts hanging out with painter Gerald Kelly, who would later become his brother-in-law. This guy's a famous painter. Through him, he becomes a fixture in the Parisian art scene, which is really big at this point in the early 1900s. Yeah, like, he's fucking moving and shaking, huh? Yeah, dude. All he, over he's, the place. He's with the who's who of bohemian artistry. Yeah. He becomes friends with the father of modern sculpture, August Rodin. Mm-hmm. Loved his work so much that guess what he did for him? Wrote poetry. Mm-hmm. Rodin in rhyme. It was the name of those poems. Oh, boy. <sighs> I mean, this is, honestly, it's the wickedest. He was known as the wickedest man in the world, and mm-hmm. it's probably because of his stupid fucking poetry. He's still in Paris. He meets author W. Somerset Moham. Uh, met him and used him as the model for the character in his novel, The Magician. So this author writes this novel, The Magician, used Crowley as kind of like the um, the inspiration behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1903, he moves back to the Bolskin house on the shores of Loch Ness. He marries Gerald Kelly's sister, Edith, to save her from an arranged marriage. So he's not like a total monster. Right. Like, there was this whole thing that was set up and it seemed to be a bad deal. And yeah. he really didn't like her. But he was helping he, her out. Yeah. Trying it out. Exactly. This did not make her family happy, though. Mm-hmm. And it, it did create a little bit of a rift between him and Gerald, even though it was done out of good faith. Um, but now, on the- all this while, this whole travel time, Mexico, Calcutta, Paris, etc., he's still fucking around with magic a lot? Yes, I imagine yeah. so. Yeah, 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 he, yeah, I don't think he ever he ever stopped doing that. Right. Um, yeah. But I do. Ha- I just kind of have like the big ceremonies and sure, stuff. Sure, sure, sure. But he is always, I mean, yeah. when you got the bug, you got it. Yeah. On their honeymoon trip to Paris through Cairo and back to Sri Lanka, Crowley falls in love with Edith. Wow. Against all odds and wants to demonstrate his love for her. Guess how? Oof. Let me see. Poetry. Yeah, I'm writing some more fucking <laughs> yeah. poems. Yeah. Rosamundi and other love songs. Ugh. <laughs> it's <laughs> disgusting. That's the newest Vampire Weekend album, isn't it's it? It's disgusting. Yeah. 1904, he arrives in Cairo with Edith and they claim to be a prince and princess. Of course. <laughs> so they rent an apartment and they set up a temple room. Duh. Yeah. I mean, uh, probably they might as well be. He's got a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to fake that kind of stuff. And there's, again, there's no internet. Yeah. You're the princess of what? Oh, I'm sure it exists somewhere. Sure. And so they set up a temple room in the apartment and they try to contact ancient Egyptian deities. Um, he studies Arabic, learns Arabic, and studies Islamic mysticism, uh, Sufism. So then they start, like, getting into it, right? They're trying to summon these Egyptian deities. Rose would routinely become delirious and started saying, they are waiting for you. He starts going heavy into the hashish, hardcore. Hell yeah. She's having trans- Chiefing it to the dump. Oh, dude, straight <laughs> to the dump, eating it, chiefing it, doing what else? I don't know. Who knows? Try it trying out. Trying it out. Definitely trying yeah. it out. Yeah. So she starts professing all this stuff, and he's like, oh, oh all right, I'll write it down. In March, <laughs> he's like, what? I'll write it down. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll write it down. It's what I do. So they are waiting for you. He's like, who's they? She says, they is the Egyptian god Horus. Tell me to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> spell the fucking thing. I can't. It's a hieroglyph. It looks like a hawk. You motherfucker. They is the Egyptian god Horus. And then on the 20th of March, quote, the equinox of gods have come. Wow. She takes him. She's in this trance. She takes him to a local museum and leads him to a steel, which is like a, a cartouche, like this 
a poster, basically, uh, an ancient Egyptian steel from the 7th century BC, exhibit number 666. Mm. And then there's not much, I guess he like looks at it and trips out, but takes it as a good sign that they're doing the right thing. Over the next few weeks, copious amounts of hash, bro. So much fucking hash. Chiefing. Chiefing it. Chief. He starts to hear disembodied voices claiming to be Iwas, the messenger of Horus. Uh, he transcribed everything over three days, and this would become his first real book, the Book of the Law. Okay. And this is this would serve as like the seminal piece of work for what would become his religion, Thelema. And Thelema is what Jack Parsons would later join in the American branch. In right, right, right. And do what thou wilt. Be the whole of let, let do what thou wilt be, be the, the whole, whole of the law. law right. Yeah. He, he's like Adam Smith, like uh, of, of Mormonism. You know? Yeah. He's just like yeah, I'll just I wrote I wrote it down. Everybody here. Yeah, it is. I heard it. Yeah. Where uh, in a, a pyramid? Uh, yeah. It's not uh, a good law, by the way. <laughs> do what thou wilt. So wilt does not mean want. It, what it means is whatever you can will into being, right? Uh-huh. So it's still shitty, but it is Absolutely. not just do whatever you want, although a lot of people take it to be Go that. Go for it. Try but, it out. But it is all about whatever your willpower can manifest. Right. Um, which, I think that's actually what kind of shakes me the most about the guy, is that the the ethics are absent right in in the law it's a law of no laws and uh it's scary i mean it, it really is to me like uh you know like it represents chaos yeah it is tr- it is almost nihilistic um, right but try it out he did seem <laughs> what it, what is it try it out try it out let try it out be the whole of the law <laughs> <laughs> well, well can i can i do this try it out try it out but but was it like because my dad has a, a phrase like, if you're going to do a job, do the whole job. Right. Was it kind of like, do it if you can finish it? Was that kind of like, if you can make it happen, do it, don't half-ass it? Yeah, well, so that's another thing I was going to say about some of these guys, too, when I was saying, like, I don't understand why you would go down this road. But I think if your father's a preacher and stuff like that, mm. there's a thing, first of all, about the forbidden. Mm. And especially if you feel like you're like an able, smart person, you're like, why do we know that there is this power that we don't ever talk about or deal with and maybe we should try to summon it for that reason that's the only explanation I can really think of is like why are we taking some things off the table and not trying it out Yeah, you know what I mean Sure. and uh, maybe it's not as bad as we think or we owe it to ourselves to find out or like maybe all these people say it's bad but it's not bad and like right so like, he had this theory that everything changes but nothing ever changes it's all the same patterns and patterns it, mm-hmm. you know a chess game can be played a, a trillion different ways but it's right. still subject to the same rules and it's the same pieces and the board never changes and his thing was the only way that you can really affect any change is by subverting these rules right right so that's why he did a lot of these kind of like transgressive acts it seems other than whatever his underlying psychology was and being a straight up high functioning pervert like me <laughs> uh, but it was an effort to like undermine the status quo of the universe is kind of what I got from some of the reading I mean, I mean a lot of his philosophical writing is exceptional it's weird but it is well written and thought out mm-hmm. but he is a maniac <laughs> um so, uh, do what thou wilt would be the whole of the law. The book proclaimed that humanity was entering a new aeon and that guess who would serve as its prophet? Him. No uh, shit. Yeah. So, the, this book, like I said, became the cornerstone of Thelema. But at the time, he, he resented the book. 
because like he wrote it in this three-day trance, but he didn't even know what to do with it. He hid it away for years. He ignored certain things the voice told him to do, like uh, removing the steel from the museum. He left it there. The voice told him to fortify his own island and to translate the book into every language on the planet. And he never did all that because he just like he felt like it was too heavy of a burden and stuff. He wow. He didn't really understand it fully. Yeah. Uh, 1905, he returns to the Bolskin house, and uh, he feels like his old pal Mathers, the guy uh, who used to run the uh, Hermetic, Order. Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, felt like he was using magic against him, so he gets a little paranoid. Rose gives birth to their first child, Lilith, and um, to entertain his recovering wife, guess what he does? Writes poetry. Yeah, pornographic poetry. Hell yeah. Snowdrop from Akurate's garden. Probably more nut illusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he decides to climb the mountain Kangjunga. Ah, Kangjunga. In the Himal- <laughs> in the Himalayas in Nepal. Um, <laughs> Nepal. Not, it's not Chinese. Uh, no, uh, which is the world's most treacherous mountain. No uh, shit. Yeah. He brings a group of badass mountaineers, and the whole time Crowley's being a real reckless asshole. They mutiny against him and decide to climb down the mountain because it's too dangerous. Even though Crowley says it's too dangerous to go down right now, uh, he warns against it, and uh, he sips tea as many of them die in a quote-unquote accident. Jesus. Yeah. He did some big game hunting, wrote some homoerotic poetry, The Scented Garden, uh, <laughs> met up with his wife and daughter in Calcutta, where he shot a man dead in the street. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, claiming self-defense. He was forced to leave. So he moves to southern China, which they think was another spy mission to monitor their opium trade. Interesting. Also, smoking a lot of opium at the time. It's a good way right. to monitor yeah. it. Yeah. Like, how am I get you you got to have your finger on the pulse of this stuff, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He leaves his wife and daughter to do some rituals to recontact the deity Iwas. Uh, he does that in Shanghai. Uh, then his daughter dies of typhoid, which he blames on his wife and her increasing alcoholism. Again, he has this depression and gets sick, a lot of health problems, surgeries, affairs with actress Lola Neville, mm. and author Ada... I couldn't pronounce her name. While his wife gives birth to their second daughter, guess what they name her? Lola. Wow. Lola Zaza. 1907, uh, does some more magic rituals and bullshit, considers it a turning point in his life, I guess. He starts using lots and lots of hash and wrote an, wrote an essay on it, on the benefits of it and as a, you know, important sacrament right. in one's spirituality. Gotta try it out. He dictates a couple more books from Iwas, uh, and they become later more holy books of the Thelema religion. By 1909, his inheritance is running out. So this is pretty... This is only like 10 years, 15 years after he gets the inheritance that it's starting to run out. Yeah, well, he's been all over the fucking world. Yeah. Buying a lot of drugs, too. Right. So then he's hired by the Earl of Tankerville to protect him from witchcraft. <laughs> and, but then he's he's not a total scumbag because he realizes that this guy's paranoia is because of his cocaine addiction. So he Turn takes the, the Earl to France and Morocco to recuperate. Uh, but he's still hurting for money, so he starts taking and paying students, right? So this is kind of the beginning of that whole, like, L. Ron Hubbard, like, start a religion for money type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't exploit this other guy. No, he yeah, got he, him sober. He was like, you're chopped up. Yeah, uh, let me take that from you. Right, yep, right, right. This is coke. Yeah. <laughs> I better do it all so you don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he takes in this guy, Victor Newberg, who becomes his sexual partner and closest disciple, young man. They go to the Bolskin house and engage in some S&M type of activities. 
more poetry. Uh, I'll skip over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and an attempt at an autobiography. Then he tries to like cash in on the popularity of like the recent uh, short story horror genre huh. and writes a couple of those, which were actually well received huh. um, and actually published. He started publishing articles in Vanity Fair um, because he was friends with, with the with the editor. He tries to create. So this is where he starts beginning his religious stuff uh, or heading his own religion. He wants to create an occult order to act as successor to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and creates AA. It's written down A the Predator Target. A, the predator target, like three dots. Uh-huh. And I don't know, nobody really knows how to pronounce it, but it's called AA. Uh-huh. Um, he's fed up with his wife, and he divorces her on the grounds of his adultery. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm fucking other people. <laughs> hey, you can't be married to a guy like me. They stay friends, and she lives at the Bolskin house, raising right. the daughter. Uh, sure, her alcoholism gets worse and worse, and eventually she's institutionalized mm. in 1911. Crowley and his boy Toy Nuremberg started traveling through the desert in Algeria, reciting the Quran daily, performing sex magic on the top of a mountain. Jesus um, Christ. Trying to invoke demons, blood sacrifice, the whole nine. Mm. Yeah. His old pal Mathers sues him for copying the Golden Dawn, but the courts favor Crowley, and he, I think he gets a little bit of money out of this. But he gets more notoriety out of it, more than anything else, because it's a public, a public case. And yeah. he, like, he's like, oh, this is, this is dope. This infamy, this notoriety thing. So he plays up this notion that he's wicked and a Satanist uh-huh. and into human sacrifice, even though he's into none of that, right? But he plays it up because it's good press. Very, very Trumpy. Uh, he did use the, the notoriety to do like a public or at least open ceremony for the AA church. We had a bunch of people in the press come. He gave them a peyote punch. Wow. And they it was received largely positively. <laughs> yeah. Then he meets his first Scarlet Woman, which you'll remember from Jack Parsons. Yes, yes. He meets a Scarlet Woman, uh, which is kind of like a... That he was summoning. Yeah, yeah. With exact, sex magic. Exactly, who would represent basically like a, a manifestation of power and sex and right. a partner, a kind of cosmic And you got to jerk off onto a candle to get it or something. Yeah, yeah. You got you to gotta jerk off onto some tablets, dude. Right. Sorry. Yeah. It's science. But then a lady shows up. This is up. magic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He believes in red, other... Like deity, blood. <laughs> blood, red blood. <laughs> and bits of sick. Uh, he believed this another deity was speaking through her, which is a common trope in his life. This would become another book. He coins the term magic with a K to distinguish it from stage illusion. So sure. He is the guy that coined that term. No shit. Yep. Uh, he writes the Book of Lies, which is um, another book that's that's circulated throughout the Lima. Um, he gets sued again by another guy, Theodore Rus, who accuses him of publishing the secrets of the OTO, which is the Ordo Templi Orientis, which is, well, he basically, like, it, it's very similar to Thelema. Okay. But Crowley convinces him that, hey, it's just coincidence, man. You know this magic stuff. It's all the same. Right. They become friends. So then, uh, then this guy gets him to head the British OTO. He's like, you know what? You're not such a bad guy. You head the British order. He takes the name of Baphomet, comma, Supreme Rex and Sovereign Grandmaster General of Ireland, Iona, and all the Britons. Wow. He was particularly interested in the OTO's use of sex magic and devised a whole ritual based around anal sex exclusively and incorporated into the curriculum for 11th degree initiates. That seems convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let do what thou wilt be the whole of the Lua. Yeah. Um, he acted as a producer for the Ragged Ragtime Girls, a group of female violinists led by his paramour at the time. Um, they perform in London and then in Moscow, where he had an uh, S&M affair with some Hungarian lady, Annie. Um, 
As you do. In Moscow, yeah. he wrote the hymn to Pan and the Gnostic Mass, which were later used by Jack Parsons in, in the United States. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is another example of they think he was in Moscow spying on revolutionary elements. God, what, what the fuck kind of whack job spy would this be? I mean, I mean it, how do you have so much time to spy when you're jerking off, you're nutting, well, whipping yeah, I mean, these yeah, Hungarian yeah, ladies? Yeah, but I mean, also... Could it be that there was that much autonomy for British spies at that time? I'm sure. If you're why, a spy, why not? You do whatever you want. Why not? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're the if you're the English, you say, uh, well, this guy's got a bunch of money, All right? Uh, so we don't have to pay him that much. No moral compass, right. right? And also, if you're if you're if you're a public figure, it's like you know they never guess. Like the guy with the fucking game show, yeah, who's like exactly. a CIA guy or whatever. Yeah. Like it's like nobody ever would believe you're fucking Secret Service. Right. There go. Well, what, the crazy guy? No, we would never have him. Yeah. He's crazy. The right. guy nutting on tablet? <laughs> yeah. He, he's not a spy. Yeah, he's not with MI6. Yeah, but he's making his... He has a knack for infiltrating societies and sure. groups and getting people to divulge information. Yeah. Uh, 1914, Crowley and Newberg settle in Paris and perform the six-week ritual Paris working, which was comprised of ritualistic intense... Drug use and sex, trying to invoke the deities of Mercury and Jupiter. Kind of freaks out Newberg, and he distances himself from Crowley, and they have an argument, and leave, and he leaves, and Crowley curses him, which I'm sure was very scary to have yeah, Crowley curse yeah. you after butt-fucking you or whatever. Yeah, it was probably coming while he did it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But by now, he's broke. Yeah. And living on donations from members. Mm-hmm. He transfers ownership of the Bolskin house to some group so he can get a little bit of cash. Um, then he goes mountain climbing in the Swiss Alps and World War I breaks out. He gets sick again and sails for the U.S. on what? The RMS Lusitania. No shit. So the RMS Lusitania, not a few months after, gets torpedoed by a German U-boat yeah. and then has an internal unexplained explosion that sinks it in 18 minutes and that's what gets the US into World War 1. Mm. So there's more intrigue. More intrigue, right? In a spy level. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he moves into a hotel in New York, he writes more for Vanity Fair, does some freelance work for a famous astrologer named Evangeline Adams, and then it gets more into the more like very much like Parsons, he's broke. And he's desperate, and so he's using a lot of drugs. He's doing sex magic by jerking off a lot and having sex with prostitutes and male clients of local Turkish bathhouses. So he's prostituting himself as well. I guess. But he was hiring prostitutes. I mean, you know, even when you're broke and you're rich, you find money to pay for hookers, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, it's like Alakine staying a drunk. Like, how does he, how? It's, he's famous. Yeah you, yeah, you get free shit. Yeah. So I'm going to read uh, something here because it's it's a little bit meandering, but during this time in the United States, he professes to be of Irish ancestry and a supporter of Irish independence from Great Britain. So Crowley begins to espouse support for Germany in their war against Britain as World War One breaks out. Right. Uh, he became involved in New York's pro-German movement, and in January 1915, German spy George Sylvester Vierich, can't, I don't know, employed him as a writer for the propagandist paper, The Fatherland, which was dedicated to keeping the U.S. neutral in the conflict. Yeah. Right? In later years, detractors denounced Crowley as a traitor to Britain for this action, but in reality, Crowley was a double agent working for British intelligence services to infiltrate and undermine Germany's operation in New York. 
Wow. Many of the articles in the Fatherland were hyperbolic. For instance, comparing Kaiser Wilhelm II to Jesus Christ. In July 1915, he orchestrated a publicity stunt reported on by the New York Times in which he declared independence for Ireland in front of the Statue of Liberty. Wow. The real intention was to make the German lobby appear ridiculous in the eyes of the American public. It had been argued that he encouraged the German Navy to destroy the Lusitania, informing him that it would ensure the U.S. stayed out of the war, when in reality, hoping that it would bring the U.S. into the war on yeah. Britain's side, which it did. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating, because the, the, the rumor is that the Lusitania blew up because it had American weapons that they were shipping to Britain. And Pro- so he says, hey. Hey, shoot at this thing. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Okay, so then he visits Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Tijuana, and the Grand Canyon. He befriends Ananga, Ananda Kumaraswamy, who, if you're into that stuff, is pretty famous. <laughs> <laughs> and his wife, Alice Richardson. Uh, they performed the sex magic in the desert. She got pregnant and miscarried. Uh, he took a magical retirement at uh, Evangeline Adams' cabin in the woods, did a lot of drugs, and c- proclaimed himself Master Therion, whatever that is. Sure. Uh, he moved to New Orleans, which is his favorite U.S. city, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Florida. Shocker. Wow. And he stayed with relatives who were evangelical Christians. Sure. Took him in. And apparently they all got along. I mean, if you know that shit, you know that you shit. You can spit it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, all- I mean, plus also, you know, like, you're still somewhat into it. Like, I mean, like, he loved his dad. Yeah. Dad was an evangelical. And, you know, you know the lingo. You know to talk about it. You can go over this fucking passage. Yeah. And it would be like this. I mean, you, if, I'm if sure you, there was not a dumb If you know moment. the book. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It'd be like going to stay with, like, fucking, you know, like, Beatles fans or whatever. You'd be like, oh, I can talk about all I know all this shit. Yeah. I can talk about all of it yeah. and spend time there and it's fine. Yeah. They, they seem the very clearly was a guy who could hang out in any crowd. Yeah. And it's also just, I mean, it is like, like I said, part of that thing of like, it's like the Nostradamus thing, you know, he was like, he was like raised with Judaism and Christianity mm-hmm. back to back. But then he was also like, what else you got? Mm-hmm. Like I wanted, g- give it all give to it all. me. Yeah. Give, give it all to me. And then, I, and then I find a bunch of extra shit, you mm-hmm. know. Goes back to New York, uh, moves in with his next scarlet woman, Roddy Minor. Through their rituals, he says he's contacted by an entity named Lamb. And their relationship ends soonly thereafter. Um, Back in London, he's labeled scum by some tabloids for his association with the German war effort. Yeah. Even though he was doing this kind of um, psyop thing. He's broke, suffering from asthma, and his doctor prescribes him heroin. And he is soon addicted. This is where he gets really into the heroin. So because before that, it was like laudanum and opium and all that shit. But now heroin's new and around. He's addicted to it. He moves to Paris in 1920, and he's living in a three-way relationship uh, with a couple of ladies. Uh, And he gets the idea to start a commune. He consults the I Ching and decides on Sicily as a place to start it. The I Ching is uh, ancient Chinese divination type of Ah, shit. So he just spun a globe. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Put his finger on some tea leaves or whatever. Yeah. And he rented out a villa, and that would be the Abbey of Thelema. So he's living in a commune with this lady, uh, last name Hersig, and um, I forget the other lady's name, but they're all living together, fucking each other. (laughs) (laughs) And all the kids are there, too. He's wearing robes. 
Hell yeah! Oh, fucking robe. Yeah, he was. In, he, yeah, he's in heaven here. He's <laughs> he's in Sicily, living with a couple of ladies, little scamps running around. Not a lot of rules. He's wearing robes, <laughs> which are for Frenchmen and homosexuals, <laughs> and performing rituals to the sun god Ra during the day. And he lets the kids have like this libertine education. So they run around all day. He even lets them watch the sex magic rituals. Oh, uh, for Christ's sake! Yeah. And so then he also like takes like day trips to Palermo to cop drugs, visit rent boys, and buy supplies. Um, As and, you do, yeah. The fucking doctor prescribing. I got this thing. Heroin. Well, that's what it was. Heroin. If you like, that's what it was for like coughs and tuberculosis. Ah, and dude, that. it was fucking. It was meant to get all those WW1 guys off morphine. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it was made for that. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. All these drugs like were meant to get rid of the other addiction. Like cocaine right. too was meant to get you off that and you just end up getting addicted to cocaine. Yeah. Well, it's like methadone now or oxygen. Yeah, right? but methadone is finally the one where like it kind of got what the results they wanted where it's like, all right, this is like a dull, shitty version of that good smack high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So heroin's dominating his life at this point and then cocaine begins to dominate it. Uh, his nasal cavity's fucking falling apart. Ugh. Yeah, he looks like shit. Uh, wild cats and dogs roam the property because nobody like does any like, groundskeeping because yeah. they're all busy fucking and letting the kids wash. So there's like dog piss and shit everywhere. It's really unsanitary. The film star Jane Wolfe comes as like a, a disciple. She moves in in 1920 and she's initiated and becomes his secretary. Mm-hmm. This guy Raul Loveday moves in and he's like devoted to Crowley. His wife not so much and she's not pleased with it, but she's there. Crowley makes him drink the blood of a sacrificed cat and requires them to cut mm. themselves with razors anytime they use the pronoun I. <laughs> you got to get rid of the ego, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <sighs> Raul drinks from a polluted stream and gets an infection and dies. Jesus Christ. It's crazy. Raul. Raul. So this is 1920, and this is kind of like when, I think this is when he gets like really, you know, there's that whole what else you got thing. Yeah. Right? And I think this is where he really gets into even more of his like perversion stuff. And I just want to read a poem that he wrote in Italy in 1920. Okay? Mm-hmm. In just content warning. Okay? Okay. Monday, June 21st, 1920, 5.25 p.m. to 5.15 a.m. Against all principles and in breach of two promises, I have sat up all night in the snows writing a poem to Leah. One long poem, an occasional publishable line thrown in when I weakened. (laughs) (laughs) 7 a.m., I think I'll collect all my filth in one poem and mark it Leah in plain figures. 10 a.m., I think I did. Leah sublime, goddess above me, snake of the slime. Alostria, love me. Our master, the devil, prospers the revel. Tread with your foot, my heart till it hurt. Tread on it. Put the smear of your dirt on my love, on my shame. Scribble your name. Straddle your beast, my masterful bitch, with the thighs of you greased with the sweat of your itch. Spit on me. (laughs) Scarlet, mouth of my harlot. Now from your wide raw cunt, the abyss sends spouting the tide of your sizzling piss. <laughs> In my mouth, oh my whore, let it pour, let yeah, it pour. You beat me, piss on me. Try it out. Try it out. 
You stale like a mare and fart as you stand. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Those scraggled wet hair you spout like a whale. Splash the manure and piss from the sewer. <laughs> Down to me quick with your tooth on my lip and your hand on my prick with feverish grip. My life as it drinks. How your breath stinks. Your hand, oh unclean, your hand that has wasted your love in obscene black masses that tasted. Your soul, it's your hand. Feel my prick stand. Your lifetimes from lewd little girl to mature, worn whore that has chewed your own pile of manure. Your hand was the key, and now you're frig me, too. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Rub all the much of your cunt on me, Leah. Cunt, let me suck all your glued gonorrhea. Oh. (laughs) Cunt without end. Amen till you spend. Cunt. You have harbored all dirt and disease in your slimy, unbarbered loose hole with its cheese and its mumflies oh, and pox, you chewer of cock. Jeez! <laughs> Jeez! I need a full-time a service, man! Cunt, you have sucked up pricks, you squirted out fetuses, fuck till bastards you blurted out into space, spend on my face! Oh my god. Rub all your gleet away, envenom the arrow, may your pox eat away me to the marrow. Cunt, you have got me, I love you to rot me. Hmm. Spend again, lash me, Leah, one spasm, scream to splash me, slime of the chasm, choke me with spoof of your sow belly's filth. Stab wow. your demonic smile to my brain. Soak me in cognac, cunt, and cocaine. Oh, my. Wow. That is next level That's rhyme. Yeah. Sprawl on me. Sit on my mouth. Leah, shit. Uh, <laughs> shit on me, slut. Creamy the curds that drip from your gut. Oh. Greasy the turds. Dribble your dung on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Churn on me, Leah. Twist on your thighs. Smear diarrhea into my eyes. <laughs> splutter out shit from the bottomless pit. Turn to me, chew it, with me, Leah, whore, vomit, spew it, and lick it once more. We can make lust drunk on disgust. Spl- There's more. Good God. Splay on your gut, your asshole, my lover, you buggering slut. I know where to shove her. There oh. she goes. Plumb up the foul bitch's bum. Sack full of skin and bone as I speak. I'll bugger your grin into a shriek. Bugger you, slut. Bugger your gut. Oh. Wriggle, you hog. Oh, cool. Wrench at the pin. Wrench at it. Drag. In, out. Suck it in. Scream, you hog dirt, you. I want it to hurt you. Beast, lioness, squirt from your cocksucker's hole. Has all of the poetry before <laughs> been like this? Belch out the dirt from your syphilis soul. Sputter foul words through your supper of turds. Slob on my nose. <laughs> yes! <laughs> May the devil, our lord, your soul scribble over with sayings of orger. Call me your lover, slave of the gut of the arse of a slut. Call me your sewer of spilth and snot, your fart sniffer chewer of the shit in your slot. Call me that as you rave in the rape of your slave. Fuck! Shit! Let me come, Astro! Fuck! I've spent in your bum. Oh, for... Shit! Give me the muck from my whore's arse. (laughs) Slick dirt of my prick. Eat it, you sow. I'm your dog. Fuck shit. Swallow it now. Fuck shit. Rest for a bit. (laughs) Satan, you gave a crown to a slave. I am your fate on your belly above you. I swear it by Satan. Leah, I love you. Whoa. I'm going insane. Do it again. Jesus Christ. That is the most insane thing I've read today. Uh, uh, Oh, yeah. Are you saying... That missionary is not cutting it anymore. It's not cutting it for this guy. It's what else you got. Okay. It, yeah, yeah. There are whole essays on 
Alistair Crowley and Coprophagy, which is uh, The Limits of Transgression is the name of the, the essay. Could you imagine him doing it on Sway? Dude, dropping the five fingers of death <laughs> on this? five fingers of death on Sway. Oh, hey, uh, <laughs> audience, hold us to that. We're going to shoot that. Yeah. So we're going to shoot <laughs> yeah. Alistair Crowley on Sway, <laughs> dropping the fucking five, five fingers, fingers of death. Oh, shit. Crowley. Get him. So anyways, a lot of that. Yeah, uh, a so, whole lot of so that. So this is how nasty and fucked up this dude is. Mussolini gets wind of this and he's like, get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I got a fascist state to run I, here. I can't have all this shit-eating <laughs> commune living. Yeah. Trains Dogs and cats aren't going to get there on time with all this shit-eating. Dude, so Benito Mussolini deports him. He moves to Tunisia where he Fuck tries to kick heroin but can't. He can't kick heroin. Employs a local boy, Mohammed. As his servant, and they go into the mountains and fuck. They go sex magic time. Uh, he travels to Nice, where he gets some nasal surgeries done, because on account of all the mm. coke. Oh, nice. And fart sniffing, apparently. <laughs> he gets another follower, Dorothy Olsen, pregnant. She miscarries. Again, a lot of miscarriages. It's, I guess it's hard carrying the seed of the wickedest man in the world. Yeah, or he's... Yeah, I think you have to, you get one of these poems, you probably are just, <laughs> your body gives up. Yeah. <laughs> you just hear the... Take, he takes many lovers over the next few years, performing magics with them, uh, still addicted to heroin and cocaine. Um, he moves to Berlin and then Portugal, where he meets poet Fernando Ressoa, who helps him fake his own death. Oh, cool. So Crowley fakes his death at the Boca del Inferno rock formation, which means mouth of hell, hell's mouth. Sure. Only to return to Berlin to unveil his newest art exhibition at a museum, which actually was pretty well received. I would assume that would be a spy play. Mm. <clears throat> I don't see anything about the uh, yeah. faking the death. I think at this point he's becoming more of like the charlatan type of guy. He's kind of he's getting he's just older. Creating a myth too. Yeah, he's in his fifties. I think he's almost in his fifties at yeah. this point, and really not doing so hot. He's yeah, a, you know. Plus, it's cool to see him resurrected. Yeah, for a guy like him, especially if you're launching a show, very on brand. From when I was dead, yeah, I got a show. <laughs> you come back from the death to open your show. That's a pretty good open. Then he had this violent relationship with this woman named Bertha Bush, and they often assaulted each other, all while having affairs with men and women in Berlin. Uh, he met with Aldous Huxley and Alfred um, Adler, who was a famous like proto-psychotherapist type of guy. Mm-hmm. He took in communist Gerald Hamilton as a lodger uh, into where he was living and was introduced to many high-profile figures in the Berlin far-left movement, British intelligence operation. Ah. He must have taken a, a break from all the chop. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, he moves back to London, takes in a Pearl B- Brooksmith as his new Scarlet Woman. 1935, he goes bankrupt, and it's revealed that he was spending three times his income. He develops a platonic relationship with woman Deirdre Patricia O'Doherty. And, um, Irish girl. Yeah, good Irish girl. Deirdre, uh, come over here and have pure... a little for shit. <laughs> Fart in my Go face. Go on and chow it down, girl, now. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. It's piping hot. You're dumb bitch. <laughs> oh, I love you. They're a strictly a platonic <laughs> relationship, uh, but she offers to bear his child, and in 1937, she does. Good God. I don't want that at all for dear. Hey, you know, we've got a great thing going on here. Just being old chumps, chopping it up. Can I carry your seed? <laughs> yeah. You're not after farting, dear dryer. <laughs> that smells well, good. Shit out one of them fetuses again. I don't think it's a coincidence that 
she was uh, was more platonic than other ones and didn't miscarry. I, I think it's not a coincidence that she's Irish and got pregnant. <laughs> I think it's amazing that she came out of Catholic to the tits <laughs> Ireland and was like, ah, you're the devil, are you? Sounds you. good. <laughs> Prove it. Yeah. So he, you know, he, he seems to slow down at this point. Uh, he continues to socialize, even holding curry parties for his friends. Nice. And, uh, he, he liked making very, very spicy curry. Oh, you bet. Probably because it makes you shit. <laughs> I'm the devil. Ooh, spicy. spicy. You know, he's kind of wicked, but his curry is so Ooh, good. So Lectures on yoga in Soho, um, living pretty much solely off of contributions from the OTO Agape Lodge in Los Angeles, headed by Jack Parsons. Very nice, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> uh, he's intrigued by the rise of Nazism in Germany. You bet. And then, <laughs> well, the, they were, the Hitler was super into the occult, right? Of course, yeah. And this charismatic figure and riling up a whole nation on the back of this symbol. He of was course. very much into symbols. In fact, later you'll see Crowley took credit for the V for Victory sign. Um, no shit. Yeah. But when Britain, when uh, Germany kicked out the OTO out of Germany during the rise of the Third Reich, they did kick out anything competitive. He took uh, offense to that, and then he labeled Hitler... A black-ass magician. Fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah. He said, dude, this Hitler guy, watch out for him. He didn't say black-ass, did he? No, he said black magician. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I say that in my stand-up, so I was like, oh! Uh, uh, me? That's a black-ass magician! It's black-ass magic. World War II breaks out. He offers his services to naval intelligence. They decline the drug addict sex pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're good. <laughs> but he still associates with people in this... In this um, right, he's got in, some elite yeah, status still, He, he associates course. with Ian Fleming, uh-huh. who was a spy and eventually created 007, James yes. Bond, and Roald Dahl, who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So all kinds of... I think it's a shit joke. <laughs> yeah. He claims to have been behind the V for Victory sign, which I mentioned... Um, he was very big into sigils and stuff like that. A lot of his, um, you know, Thelema has its own sigil, which is very weird looking. Mm-hmm. In 1940, his asthma worsens, and because Germany is embargoed, he cannot get his German medication. So he huh? he gets back onto heroin. Oh, for Christ's sake. Because there's nothing available. Well, sure, you got to have smack if you can't <laughs> <Yeah>. breathe. <laughs> Um, what the fuck kind of logic is that? Well, there's no, there's no, the, dude. It's 19 fucking 40. They don't have albuterol. Yeah. Or singular or whatever you weak immune system people have. Right, right. Well, I don't have. I mean, I'm fucking, I don't know. But I'm just saying, it doesn't seem like a solution to asthma. It's like I can't breathe. Well, I'm that's what. Up. That's what it was. I mean, yeah. you know, Sears used to sell heroin in their mail order catalog. Good God. You can. We'll put those up online too. I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, 1940. All the links. <laughs> yeah, links to the mail prime. <laughs> Web. <laughs> in 1947, he dies of bronchitis, pleurisy, and myocardial degeneration. All the shit. Yeah, broke, looking like shit. But wait, there is more. Comes Ooh. back. <sighs> so, there was a woman that uh, was around Alistair in his 20s, late 20s. Uh, Pauline Pierce was friends with Alistair, and apparently... They were in France together in around 1924. Uh, I think she maybe worked as secretary again very briefly. But she, um, when, she le- when she left Paris and uh, returned to America uh, and shacked up with her boyfriend, Pauline gave birth to one Barbara Pierce. Barbara Pierce later becomes Barbara Bush. 
Shut the fuck up. No relation to Bertha Bush. No, different Bush. The, that Bertha Bush is Bush like Anheuser Busch. B U S C H. No, oh, no shit. But Pauline is and Barbara Pierce marries George Herbert Walker Bush. So you see, who is the head of the CIA becomes head of the CIA and later President of the United States. So Barbara Bush could be the illegitimate child of Alistair Crowley. <laughs> Good God. The seed is strong. Oh, that is great. Yeah. I really like that. So George W. Bush is the grandson of, of notorious cocaine uh, uh, <laughs> maniac uh, Berbert. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the thing they say about George W. is that he he's he, he's really uh, he's really Barbara's son. That mm. Jeb is is George is, is George yeah. Junior. And and Barbara would say it to him. She'd be like, "You're you're more like me. Like you're more like emotional and you know like kind of like you got all um, these poems about shit. <laughs> yeah, you know because like he's an artist. George his w- paintings. George W. Bush versus George H. W. Bush couldn't be more different. Oh, you know? they are t- <laughs> At, like personality wise. Yeah. And so that was like in the in the the Oliver Stone movie they actually show that that Barbara says that to him during a you're fight my, she's like boy. you're you're more like me yeah you know I mean if you look at pictures of Barbara and Alistair yeah yeah really yeah do you want to see him yeah I want to fucking see him dude fuck you <laughs> I'll show him to you and you can take a look oh god she is a sight to behold hot, I'll tell you that hot Woo, yikes here take a look. Okay. 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 I mean, there's a whole page of them, but sure. Yeah. We'll throw up some of the more. God, he really does look fucked up, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. How old was he? Uh, what did he die in 1947? He was born in 1875. So not not a you know not a bad life for a man with so many fucking issues. Issues and and STDs and drugs. Yeah. Yeah. The will. Power of the will. Yeah. Now, did he leave anything to anyone? Uh, no, he's broke. Oh. He was broke. The orders survived. Mm-hmm. The or the OTO and no Tolima shit. survived. Yeah, yeah. They're still. You can go to a Gnostic Mass in Los Feliz. Really? Yeah, they're all, they're open. Um, you know, it's the later chapters where it's more exclusive, but they are. You can still go. Yeah. And do the whole thing. Yeah. But a- after doing the research, you know, he's no longer so wicked. It seems. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially seeing how accomplished he was as like a chess player, a poet, author, and, and mountaineer. He's yeah, fucking mountain it's, climber. yeah. It's demystified a bit until that poem. Yeah, the poem. Like, oh, okay. The poem is very on brand for right. what I thought he was. Yeah. Shit, piss on me, beat me, try it out. Right, right. Yeah. He's looking for hardcore guys and gals. He is. He really is. But it's like, uh, like we were talking about earlier, how. You know, he was trying to break the boundaries of things, and with poetry, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. If if you're if it's all on the page, if you want to take it off the page, maybe that's how you break. Yeah. Because like a painting is still a painting no matter what you paint if it's on a canvas, but if you paint right. it on a wall, maybe it's something else. Or yeah. I think you think, you think Bukowski read those and he's like, I got to tone these down. <laughs> <laughs> Too much Crowley. <laughs> yeah. But I think like that poem. <laughs> Was him being like, "How do I break poetry? How do I yeah. how do I break poetry?" Set and, and... the poetry world on fire. Oh, he's talking about shit. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he also. I mean, I think it was like a "What else you got?" type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think after a certain point, like you said, missionary doesn't cut it for you, especially after you're chopped to the fucking gills. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna you need something else just to get your. Well, plus you've been a spoiled rich brat your whole life, and you've probably been trying it out your whole life. He had and... been, and he really liked like rough. 
you know, he got into the S&M stuff and he described basically the act of passive anal sex as like one of the life's great pleasures. Uh, passive the, anal sex? Receptive. Ah, got it. Getting plowed, bro. Right, right. He, talked, like, he talked about it like, you know, there are only two pleasures that a man can give to another man that a woman cannot give to him. And he oh. wrote about how awesome it was. He really thought it was the cat's meow. Wow. Yeah. Try it out. He wants to get fucked and fucked good. He's looking for <laughs> hardcore guys. It could be a lease and a key, which he did to many guys. Beat yeah, on him, like, piss on him, sure. try it out. Can you imagine being the lady getting that, that uh, poem and living in the Loch Ness house and being like, holy shit, I live with this guy? <laughs> Or what, you know what I mean? Like I think I think I think he was pretty good at sussing out women that were into it. Yeah. I can't believe you got an Irish girl in that day and age. Yeah. Deirdre Doherty. Uh huh. Good God. God bless her. Jesus. Well, she was traveling though, like so she wanted she was out she was on her way out. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. You're gonna get a certain type of Irish woman out in Oof, Bangkok or wherever he is. Yeah. Pretty intense dude, man. I mean, I didn't really even delve into some of the deeper nasty shit but he was fucking wild yeah heavy heavy drug use um he did talk about you know one of the rituals was just basically reaching a point of sexual exhaustion mm-hmm. like to where you were just so nutted out that you were like <laughs> I was a- gonna say nutted out <laughs> yeah yeah and they didn't have max load at the time so his <laughs> balls run dry he's nutted out like in a state of waking sleep yeah. like delirium like the stuff you see on the some of like the fake hardcore sites you know mm-hmm Oh, she's bumbling. Oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. He's got a bang over. He's like, I'm never gonna fucking. I'm never fucking again. I'm not yeah. doing that again. But he did. He did. A lot of these uh, these cult guys, they present themselves as like artists. Like the cult is like almost a side project mm-hmm. because they're they're genius in another field. Mm-hmm. And so look at look at this art, and now follow me into my cavern, right? Where where I will then lead your life because right. I'm such a good artist. I know all about all these other. Yeah, things. and I think it's also the the the, the cult of personality where it's mm-hmm. like I don't know what it is yet, but I know I've got it. Yeah. And so come along and wait and see and just watch the reality show until I get there. Right. He and never you're... really got to the the level of like your Jim Jones or Elrond. Sure. Like he didn't get to that level of cult leader, but yeah. he was the grandfather of those guys who later you know, Father Yod is another one that I'm thinking about doing who kind of here in LA in the seventies. He never Father Yod? Father Yod, dude. <laughs> Dunno. Oh man, you're gonna love this guy. I, I am gonna love him. His but, name's Father Yod. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Try it out. Yeah, you'll try this one. Oh, I'm going to try it out. But yeah, he uh, he kind of set the stage for that, but he never really, I mean, the closest he ever got was uh, doing the teaching and heading certain branches and kind of running his stuff remotely, the, the Church of Thelema, and maybe the, the commune in, in Sicily, which was just you know a handful of people, but never yeah. operating, being a true cult leader, but yeah. definitely had the cult of personality behind him. Yeah, I mean, well, that's another thing, too, is like once you have the cult going and you still don't know what you are, now you have this huge burden of responsibility. Yeah. Shit, better figure like, it out. Like, okay, well, I got to figure, I got to... They got to do something, yeah. and they're here for me. Drink I, this cat blood. Yeah. <laughs> Piss on me. Right. So, you know, it's, Happy? it's kind of another stumbling block in a way to getting to where- If you're going to start a cult, you got to have a plan, dude. You got to have it pretty uh, written out, or you got to figure it out pretty fast, which I think Elrond did, Yeah. and uh, Jim Jones did. You know, he kind of saw how big it could go. Oh, yeah. And, you know. I mean, Jim Jones made made friends with politicians. Yeah, I mean, he was a he was a public figure. You know, they'd have his people working at like soup kitchens and stuff. He was yeah. very, very above board for a long time. Oh yeah, and it was it was um, 
great example at the time of, of great unrest of racial harmony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could yeah, jo- if you were was, black, why well, you could join? Uh, no, but I think it was like it was heavy black populated. Yeah. was the uh, the church mm-hmm. that he he started. Yeah, you know, but a lot of that came out of the Midwest. Whatever, that's a whole other deal. But that was great, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. I was really, really, really good. The wickedest man in the world, the great beast Baphomet. Yeah, Alistair Crowley, no longer the scary, scary figure to haunt your dreams, unless, of course, you read his poetry about mm. piss and shit. Yeah, blood, blood, red blood, red blood, and it was her blood. Awfully convenient. It seemed like anytime he needed, he needed an out. Oh, I'm he sick. Was, he was able to go to another country. He was fl- able to flee anywhere. Yeah. And join in with whatever convenient well, you wonder thing if, the British were looking into. Yeah, you'd yeah. wonder if he was like, I'm out of money, MI6, can you? Can I go spy on some people for right. you? I need some blow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty That's convincing. It's pretty convincing. Yeah. Um, cool. I mean, do, I mean, do you know about, like, I mean, like, they're saying fucking, they think even George Orwell now? Yeah, I've heard well, that too. British intelligence yeah. and, uh, and a lot gave, of time- gave up names. During no the, during the early Red Scare, no shit. Yeah, 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 and like so, like the Guardian and the Observer newspapers are so in love with George Orwell mm-hmm. as a journalist turned activist mm-hmm. turned revolutionary turned foretelling of like you know preserving democracy against communism and fascism mm-hmm. and all these things because he, he saw both of them and yeah and then when they found out that he was like snitching like you could see like in the editorials about it <sighs> it like attacked the soul of the paper yeah they felt really bummed out by finding out this shit well he was scarred he was scarred heavily from seeing what yeah could happen with socialism communism and yeah and fascism and, and you know the thing about the thing about room 101 where it's your your worst fear is in room 101 in 1984 yeah it's rats for the main character oh. and it's because rats were running over his legs in the trenches when he was fighting in the oh. Spanish Civil War and then he became a rat so the, yeah mm-hmm. and then he becomes a fucking rat yeah so he's scared of you know, both yeah. the physical and the yeah the metaphorical it's crazy that was a great episode, Aaron. Hey, well, I'm Thanks, glad Aaron. you guys were here to chime in and yeah. hear about all this nasty One question, shit. one final question. Whose dick is this? <laughs> well, you big dick motherfucker, lift up your leg and you'll find out. What's my name? Whose dick is this? <laughs> I, 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 try, try it out! out. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. We love you. Good night.